as I was thinking about uh, uh, the sermon for uh, today and reading the passage, um, uh, I've, I've had to n- negotiate that with a very busy schedule. Um, because this week in particular uh, has been uh, the welcome week, as you know, in, as uh, Margaret prayed for and uh, for the university. So as a welcome week, uh, uh, and as I'm one of, you know, one of the members of staff in the university, uh, there were a lot of uh, meetings and greetings, if you will. Uh, and so I was busy with so many different activities uh, throughout the week, um, as well as uh, beyond. Uh, we, we even had uh, some people uh, over at my home um, as well. And, and there's so many things that, um, that uh, I needed to do uh, in, in meeting these people. And it's interesting whenever I meet new students. Uh, because one of the, the uh, real tests uh, for me is uh, to see how many of them think I'm a new student also. Uh, <laughs> some do, <laughs> others don't, which is fine. Um, it's, a, it, it's a test of how youthful I look uh, during the time or how, how tired I am, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but as a, a member of uh, university staff, uh, and, and actually I, I realize I've been here for like a decade now, um, in uh, the university as a family. We've lived here for a decade. We arrived in 2013, so that's 10 years. September 1st, 2013. Um, but uh, over these years, I, I realized that being in the university is, is one of these things that you start learning all these like nooks and crannies. Okay? And, and the building that I work in is a very old building. It's a, over 175 years old. It's an ancient building, and it's got all these weird like places that nobody knows about, right? And I, I know all these little secret passageways, you know, because I've I've gone through all these different secret passageways. And I and and for um, many people in the general public, they're not able to access it. Um, but uh, but because I work there, you know, I I, I have access to all of these different places. Um, and in in my building, uh, a couple months ago, um, I actually came across uh, this one part of the building that very few people know about. And it's a sanctuary that's on the, on the ground floor of the library uh, of the building that, that I uh, work in. Uh, it's a beautiful little sanctuary and with this uh, stained glass in, in, uh, within it. And, and I, I posted this picture up on uh, what used to be known as Twitter. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, a student caught a glimpse of it. Uh, and that student, <laughs> Noam, <laughs> said, it's open. Is it open? You know, because it's supposed to be closed at the time. It was actually locked up. And it was uh, because of all these renovations, you couldn't get in. And of course, uh, I cheekily said, well, that's a staff privilege I have <laughs> because it was still locked up and I was able to sneak in uh, and actually bring a friend uh, to, to see this uh, one spot that was locked behind uh, doors and uh, only certain people were allowed in this part of the building. Now you can go there, but, but then you couldn't. Um, anyhow, I, I, I use this as a, uh, an illustration, uh, perhaps, uh, of... Uh, how for, for many of us, uh, for, for me as a, as a staff member in the university and, and in, maybe in your lives, there are certain things that you have access to that other people do not have. And, uh, you know, 
for, for me, it's because I'm a member of staff here that I have access to certain things. And uh, for you, you know, maybe something in your, your family or your home or whatever. Yeah? And in um, our passage for today, um, we also have uh, this question of access. And it is a, a question of access related to God, that Christians have a special access to God like no other. But it's not quite the same as a key to a hidden corridor, a hidden sanctuary somewhere. It's not like a VIP pass that you get uh, to go through a, a, a backstage. It is not as though Christians have a special access for any reason for themselves. Rather, it is because of um, something that is not of us. It is from God. Um, I think for, for many of us, uh, in fact, for all of us, because we are human, we have a yearning for something more. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think it's a universal feeling that sometimes we realize that there's things that are not quite right in this world, in our life perhaps, or even when we watch the news, that there's something that is not quite right. And our passage for today indicates that only one can fill that void, that deep longing, that deep yearning, and that, that is, of course, God. This is why our passage uh, uh, begins with um, uh, talking about newborn babies. Okay, this is a picture of a newborn baby, uh, our newborn baby. <laughs> um, it, it was one of the few pictures, I made sure to take a picture of him crying, because you, you take pictures of babies that are always happy, right? Always like, uh, you know, smiling and, and giggling or what have you. But you need to make sure to take pictures of crying babies. Because it reminds you of some of the, of the, the hardships of parenthood, if you will. <laughs> but in our passage, it begins um, by talking about how we are like newborn babies who crave for pure spiritual milk. And I remember when our kids were babies, right? They would cry. And you know, when, when a baby cries, they really cry, right? And they cry for a long time. And it's like a guessing game. What, why are they crying, right? Are they crying because they pooped? You know, are they crying because they need to sleep and they need to be hugged? Are they crying because they're hungry? And you're going to have to like go through the, the options. Um, but when, when a baby is crying, and, and in particular this baby, when, when he was crying as a baby, um, and crying because of hunger, and finally gets the milk, there is a lot of slurping going on. There's a lot of quenching of that hunger, of that thirst. And it can get really loud. I didn't put a picture of nursing for... <laughs> Uh, yeah, good reasons. But, but the, the fact is that when, when a, a baby um, uh, gets that milk, it really hits the spot. And that's what this, this uh, verse starts out by saying, you know, like newborn babies craving pure spiritual milk, this craving, this yearning for true milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord 
is good. The spiritual milk that really hits the spot. And likewise for Christians, uh, Christians are told that they have tasted the goodness of God. It is because this deep yearning has been met. It has been met by God alone. And so we hold fast. Well, there's this paradox in Christianity, I think. Um, And that paradox is that for Christianity, oftentimes there's a sense in which, um, you know, sometimes there's this uh, discussion of of being joyful, of uh, being, um, having things uh, in, in here, you know, that, the, the sense of goodness uh, that, that Christians experience. But then why do Christians suffer? Even more, why do Christians suffer for the faith? And in, indeed, many uh, Christians around the world, and perhaps in, in uh, parts of uh, Asia that some, some of us uh, trace our heritage, Christians are those who profess to live a faith that is not welcome. If you were here a few weeks ago uh, when Tu uh, started our series in 1 Peter, he spoke of how the context of this text, the context of this letter of 1 Peter, is uh, during the rule of Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero is, is uh, uh, famous, infamous, I should say, of the persecution he launched upon Christians. And when Christians in the first century bowed to God, they chose to not bow to the emperor. And that was a problem. So that's why the the book of 1 Peter starts out, written by Peter, to God's elect, to the exiled and scattered throughout the Roman provinces of Asia. They are exiled, banished into lands not their own. And we know from the book of Acts that the Christians spread to all these different lands, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, not by choice, but because they were persecuted. But these Christians, they are also scattered, haphazardly thrown about, spread all over the place. It is an image of utter chaos and disorder. They are a people whose experience is of utter chaos and disorder. Now, the Apostle Peter writes to Christians in this context and reminds them that they are not alone in being rejected. In fact, Jesus Christ himself, their Lord and their God, was rejected. And we see in in our passage uh, this description of how Jesus was rejected by those around him. He was chosen by God and seen precious to God. But whilst he was rejected by humans, he he was embraced by God. And that was also the experience of Christians. They are like Christ, that they too are rejected, but likewise precious in the sight of God. And we have this beautiful imagery in verses 4 and 5 where it says, As you come to him, Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We see a parallel that's being made between Christ's rejection and embrace to the Christians who are rejected and embraced. But we also have this metaphor of stones, of living stones, and how living stones are built up into a spiritual house, a stone building, if you will, and a holy priesthood. Now, when I was reading this uh, passage, I I thought this was actually quite an odd metaphor. Um, Because for Peter... Uh, you know, when he's describing this, you know, immediately you're thinking of a temple, right? This idea of priests, you know, who work in a temple and, and are uh, offering sacrifices and, and all this. And, and, of course, you also have this high priest. In this picture, you can't quite see, but there's a high priest in the middle there that's serving in front of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And, and, you know, all these different things, right? But there's problems if we think about this as a temple. Because, you see... Uh, you know, in the temple, and we can kind of work back in this passage, in the temple, what kind of sacrifices do they offer? They offer uh, roast lamb, right? Or, or, you know, animal sacrifices, right? Um, instead of spiritual sacrifices. And actually, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we have this idea that there are no more sacrifices that are necessary. That in the book of Hebrews, we see Jesus described as a new high priest. But then the other thing is that the Christians are being called priests. They are a new priesthood. This, I think, is really odd. Because, as we know in the Old Testament, it was a particular group of Jews, not all the Jews, but a particular group that were called to be priests, the Levites. It was not the average Israelite who was a priest. And many of Peter's audience, they would have been uh, Christians who are not only Jews, but also Gentiles, that is, non-Christians. And so, even within Judaism, if you convert to Judaism, um, the best you could do is you could come near this area, but you can't even enter into the presence of God because you're a Gentile still. But here, this idea that the Christians, Gentile and, and Jewish converts, are now a holy priesthood, that's quite different from how it was before. But lastly, and I think quite interestingly, is that Christians are being built up into a spiritual house, a spiritual home, and not a temple. Now, in other passages of the New Testament, we have this idea of the church and the Christians becoming the temple of God. But here, Peter uses this, uh, this phrase, which really means a home, a house, okay? a building, right? a spiritual home. And this, I think, is quite crucial. Because if you think about it, what's the difference between a temple and a home? A temple, especially in the Old Testament, is primarily where God lives and priests work home is where we live and as a spiritual home is where perhaps god also lives a temple is a place of worship where people periodically go and priests make sacrifices to connect people to god 
And this is why in the Gospels, we have, whenever we have, hear of Jesus going to the temple, it's actually one of these uh, once-in-a-year pilgrimages that Jews go to the temple. So it's not a very common thing for Jews, especially who are scattered around the Roman world, to go to on a regular basis. But home, that's where we live day to day. That's where our life is. And as a spiritual home, this is where greater intimacy is. When you welcome somebody to your home, you're welcoming somebody closer to your inner circle, into your inner life. There's a greater intimacy with one another and with God. See, for Peter, his readers are a scattered people. They are a scattered people and an exiled people. They are, if you will, homeless. And now they are being gathered together and built up by God together to form a spiritual home. They are once haphazardly thrown about, but now they are gathered together by God and raised up as a new home for sacred work as a holy priesthood. They are once rejected and now accepted at home with an either greater purpose. Now, as I was um, reading this passage and I was going through it, I was reflecting on it and I was, I was actually thinking, um, and you have to apo- I have to apologize because I, I kind of, uh, sometimes my work bleeds into my, uh, my sermons. Uh, and, and so there's a little bit of a, a lecture in here. I apologize for that. Uh, but, but as I was, um, you know, uh, reflecting on this passage, I, was, I started, my mind started wandering of other people who are scattered in this world. Okay? And, and one of the, the things that um, I work on in, in my academic work is looking at those who are of Chinese heritage that have been scattered around the world, but also who have historically experienced tremendous rejection. Now, I myself have not experienced this kind of hardship and rejection, uh, but I know when I am being treated differently. It is what uh, some people call the perpetual foreigner. The sense that no matter how much you do to fit in, you're always not quite uh, British enough or Western enough. You're asked, where are you from? Or you get comments about your English language ability. And we want to really fight these uh, stereotypes and just be treated as normal. Just be treated as though this is our home. And I was thinking about this, uh, you know, sorry, this is like the academic side of me, right? I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the history of Chinese churches in this country, like uh, CECE, and it's a, uh, CECE in many ways is a side effect of this, of these experiences. Churches like these uh, started because the dominant population did not care enough to share the love of God to these foreigners. And, requ- and, and it required Chinese Christians to reach out and to care for one another and to minister to other Chinese that these churches grew. But then as my mind wandered, I, I came back to this passage and I was thinking, you know, 
Is this the same as these, uh, the audiences of First Peter? And I realized that while the theme of rejection and embrace are here, um, I realized that the passage is actually speaking about something quite different. That Christians in the first century, they too were perpetual foreigners. But unlike uh, Chinese in Western societies or, or other Asians or, or whatever in, in Western societies, for the first century Christians, whether they're Jews or, or Gentile converts, they actually blended in quite well. Many of them looked like the average person in their midst. This is why so much of 1 Peter, including much of our passage for this week, is about rejecting the social practices, the sinful social practices that are the norms of society. For the first century Christians, it was actually quite easy for them to blend in. So they were perpetual foreigners in the sense that they knew that because of their faith, they had a different culture and a different set of values. But unlike Chinese in the UK or wherever else who want to be treated as locals, these Christians were perpetual foreigners who were being called to continue being foreign. See, this is actually the difference here in our passage. Our passage is about foreigners that have a special identity. They were no longer to be understood as an oddity that is rejected and scattered, but a unique people embraced and upheld. And so in, in verses 9 and 10, you have this really beautiful uh, uh, section here where it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this beautiful phrase, this beautiful uh, verses that talk about what it means to be a people of God. Right? And, you know, the, the, the four phrases in the, the first sentence, you know, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, uh, God's special possession, they're, they're actually just quotes from the Old Testament. Okay? They're, they're these phrases that come directly from the Old Testament. But together, broadly speaking, it says that, firstly, that Christians are special in God's eyes and given a special identity in God that they are special, okay? They may be foreigners in the land, but they are special. They're not just scattered about. They're not just haphazardly thrown about. There is something special because of God, because of their identity in God. And secondly, because of their identity, they have new jobs. They have new purposes in this world as priests, as people to declare God's goodness. See, for us as Christians, our identities are changed because of God. And we are different. In theological terms, we say holy, you know, to be set apart, 
to be different. We are different because God is different, and God wants us to be different. We are different not simply because we go to church and call ourselves Christians. We are different because of what God has done and God will do in our lives. We are different because we have tasted that the Lord is good and yearn for his works of salvation in this world. And God is building us up as a spiritual home, a chosen people, a holy nation, a special possession. And part of that difference in identity is a difference in what we do as priests. We are a royal priesthood because we are a priesthood that serves the king of kings. And what do priests do but worship God? mediating on behalf of the people and bringing about the needs of people before God. We are called to intercede in prayer and to mediate the healing and the mercy of God to the people who are in our midst. For the first century Christians, and perhaps even for us, it is easy for us to not be different. It is easy for us to try to fit in, try to blend in. There is much in common between these first century Christians and for us as 21st century Christians. Once we were not a people, we were haphazardly exiled, a scattered bunch. Now we have been gathered together and raised up as a people a people with an identity in God. Now we are the people of God. And we have, we have once not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And to live as people changed by that mercy and to be ministers as priests of God's mercy. And so for each of us, um, I think we need to reflect on this and ask, how do we live out this difference? How do we live out this difference in our lives, in the midst of our workplaces, our interactions day to day, in our homes? Um, it's perhaps in our homes that it's hardest to live out the Christian life, I find. How do we live now as a people, as a people of God, his royal priests, bring about his mercy? Let us pray. Father God, we give thanks to you. For indeed, you are a God that is that we uh, do not deserve. But you're a God that fills us and quenches us, quenches our thirst, quenches our yearning, the deepest of desires in our hearts. And it is through you that we are a people. 
It is through you that we are a people of God, built up as a spiritual home, which I guess means that we are not alone in this world. Because we are not alone uh, trying to follow whatever you, you ask of us, but you place us in community and in a spiritual home that you are building up. And so, Father, help us in all that we are and bring shape to us that we may bring glory to you and that we may be priests, vessels of your mercy in this world. Help us to do that in the easiest parts of our lives and in the most difficult parts of our lives. But give us that motivation and the courage to live out lives in your name. Amen.